So it became clear to me that we had to present a case to our ratepayers for why we needed more revenue in order to do this work. That didn't even include 100 years of deferred maintenance and water quality and the distribution system and all the other stuff we know we've done. And when I ever hear stories about, well, people don't want to pay more for water, um, we did a survey. And my reaction is, well, of course, if someone calls me on the phone and has asked me, do you want to pay more for something? What's my answer? No. Well, I mean, who would answer yes to that question? Unless they're, I don't know, crazy or money's not an object, but I just don't know many people in that category. Um, if you ask me, do I want more for a cup of coffee? My answer will be no, unless you tell me, well, it's a bigger cup or there's a special blend or something about it that justifies that additional investment. So I knew that we needed a relationship with our customers so that they understood the value of what we were delivering to them. And when we came to the point of needing a rate increase, we could present that value proposition in a way that was meaningful. Welcome to What Are We Talking About? A podcast produced by Water Online. Hosts Jim Laurier of Maisie Injector Company and Adam Tank of Transcend Water, a dynamic boomer millennial combo, will help you demystify how to build a better brand for your business, keep current and prospective customers engaged with your company, and ultimately grow your sales. They interview some of the most interesting and unique water professionals who have used the art of storytelling to move the needle for themselves and for their organizations. Welcome. We have George Hawkins today, the uh, founder and executive director of Moonshot Missions. Welcome, George. Delighted to be with you, Jim and Adam. It's uh, it's a good day today, and I'm uh, really delighted to be with you. Great. So, so the way we like to start things, George, is we like to tell the audience how we got to know your work and how we got to know you. And so for me, when I first transitioned into the water industry, you were kind and gracious. You were, DC, you were the general manager of DC Water, and you were kind and gracious to share with me uh, your ideas on the uh, water utility of the future. And as that has evolved over the 10 years we've known each other, I followed it. I've used it as a strategy for my plants in the municipal uh, water industry. And, you know, again, very thankful for the opportunity to understand where the uh, industry is going. Well, I appreciate that, uh, Jim. And <clears throat> I must say, I've enjoyed following the both of you, actually, because you're both so engaged in in our little world of water, maybe not so little. Um, and Jim, in particular, you write just the most fascinating articles. And well, it's just, it's always expands and it, goes, it takes water issues, but then takes them in places where we might not have been uh, taking them. Sure. And I think um, we need that. And that's part of what you're doing in, in this process. So I'm uh, I'm really grateful for it. It's been wonderful to see and that be a little part of. So I'm, uh, that's been wonderful. If you're in the water industry, chances are you've heard the hawk as he is so referenced multiple times. I, I had never met George in person, maybe in passing at a couple of conferences, WefTech or you know Water Innovation Weeks, but people constantly talked about, you gotta meet the hawk, you gotta meet the hawk, you gotta meet the hawk. <laughs> and so the more I learned about George, the more I learned about his work, I started following him on Twitter. And then now of course we have this, this podcast. The whole reason we wanted you on was because you in many ways are seen as the ultimate storyteller, seller, marketer in the water industry. And I'd like to start there. So 
many leaders in our industry prefer not to be in the limelight. And that's especially true for municipal water leaders who think that this idea of storytelling or selling themselves to the public isn't part of what their day job should be. But you took a very different approach. So I'd like to start there and, and talk about why you've chosen to focus on storytelling, on marketing, on selling as a water leader. It's a, it's a great question. <clears throat> and uh, although probably, thank you, by the way, for the kind words. Um, I appreciate it. I always think of myself as a conductor of a jazz band. And the reason I've had good stories to tell is I've had such a fantastic band around me. I don't actually play any of the instruments. I just try to keep all these wonderful musicians on the same tune. And when that happens, they take off and they give me then great music to play or great songs to hear. Um, so it's been a delight to be able to take those stories. But um, in, in the variety of organizations I've run over the years, I always try to come into the organization and adapt to what's needed in each place. Um, although I've always found that telling the story to an audience is almost always part of it. Um, in the nonprofit world, which I did for 10 years, there's always, we're the best kept secret. I'm like, well, why is that? There's only one enterprise or any peer that's going to be able to tell your story, which is you. So if you're the best kept secret, there's only one place to look on that question. And um, But for DC WASA, as we were known when I started, and what some people don't know is I regulated DC WASA. Before I, and I was on its board. So I was on the governing board of DC WASA. This was before I came in as GM. And I regulated it because I ran the Department of Environment for the city of DC. And I have to say, I didn't like DC WASA. Um, back then, nobody did. Um, it was one of the at least, I was an article in the Washington Post, and it was one of the bottom uh, organizations in DC for customer uh, appreciation and all the rest, which is hard to do. There's the IRS. There's, Many organizations at the bottom, you have to work hard to be down there. And, um, and I didn't like DC Wasa because I, I remember my first meeting with them and I didn't know DC Wasa very well. I was back, coming back to DC from the 10 years I spent in New Jersey. And the first meeting was dark suits and lawyers and it was sort of conflict. And I was just trying to get to know who they were. They were the largest enterprise we regulated. So I wasn't particularly nice to them. Um, and uh, yet when I was doing my diligence, for applying to the job uh, for DC WASA. What I realized early on is that because of mandated projects, so these were not optional, a consent decree, a permit obligation, and otherwise, our, our DC WASA's capital budget was gonna go up between 50 and $100 million a year, every single year for five to six years, just boom, 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 boom. And, and I remember looking at that chart going, oh, my God, how are we how is this organization that no one particularly likes ever going to persuade anybody to pay the rates that are going to be necessary for this escalation? And if this is mandated work and they don't get the rate increases they need, what's going to happen? They're going to take money from their operating budget to fund the capital program and maintenance and all the rest is going to get worse. And D.C. Watts already had a century of deferred maintenance. So the system was going to get worse while these mandated projects. So it became clear to me that we had to present a case to our ratepayers for why we needed more revenue in order to do this work. That didn't even include 100 years of deferred maintenance and water quality and the distribution system and all the other stuff we know needs to be done. And when I ever hear stories about, well, people don't want to pay more for water, um, we did a survey. And my reaction is, well, of course, someone calls me on the phone and 
has asked me, do you want to pay more for something? What's my answer? No. Well, I mean, who would answer yes to that question unless they're, I don't know, crazy or money's not an object, which I just don't know many people in that category. Um, if you ask me, do I want more for a cup of coffee? My answer will be no, unless you tell me, well, it's a bigger cup or there's a special blend or something about it that justifies that additional investment. So I knew that we needed a relationship with our customers so that they understood the value of what we were delivering to them. And when we came to the point of needing a rate increase, we could present that value proposition in a way that was meaningful. And if we started with the first time we interacted with a customer with, oh, by the way, we're raising your rates. That's a very hard place to be if the first thing they ever heard, who are you and why you're taking more of my money? I mean, that's also a losing proposition. We had to have a relationship with that customer before asking all the hard questions where they had a sense of who we are and what we did. And so creating a relationship was my highest priority. So area, it was, and all the engineering folks, when I left, thanked me for it because they realized how much uh, we were able to do because we had a customer base that ultimately decided they wanted to support us. But at first there was a hard going. At, what do you mean you're hiring external affairs people? What do you mean you're going, what are you doing? I'm like, I've got to create the space here outside the organization so this band can play. Because you are great musicians. What I learned is DC Watts had plenty of really good talent on it. It was the ability with all the various players that controlled its destiny to have a positive engagement so that we can move forward. And that meant um, building that communications arm. And the, for stories to me, there's just no other way to tell. How do you, well, we need uh, an investment to reduce the scaling on the inside of a pipe. Well, I'm not sure that's going to, but tell the story of a water main break in the winter and snowpocalypse, which is a story I often tell. That's, but that's what we're going to, we're going to make it. Then people are like, oh, I get it. You've got a pipe on MacArthur Boulevard that has gigs stamped on the side of it. That's a true story, by the way. Um, water main broke. I was in Boston, had to fly back uh, from Logan Airport because we flooded a school. It was a big transmission lane. Because <laughs> in D.C., De La Carlia, which is our main reservoir, is right up the street from MacArthur. And that was one of the main transmission lines going down under MacArthur Boulevard. And as we opened up the street, Diggs was, uh, Miggs, I'm sorry, not Diggs, what am I saying? Miggs was, was stamped on the side of the thing. He put his name on everything. That's Montgomery Miggs, who became the quartermaster general under Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War. <laughs> And that though that main was put in in the 1850s, um, and that's what. And but we had cameras because, and I said, "See that? That's why we're investing in our system." God bless Migs and our forebears who put this in place. It's our responsibility to do what we need to do now. And um, I did 56 rate hearings um, at DC during my time. And uh, we presented our case in every hearing and, and in hundreds or thousands of events. Uh, in, and we got the support we needed from our ratepayers. Um, and there didn't happen by accident. It was because of a concerted effort using these incredible stories that we had to tell um, so that people understood we're, we're people like you. We make mistakes. And if we do, we'll own up to them and fix it. Um, I'll tell one last quick story on that. I know I'm going on at great length. Oh, absolutely. Keep it up, George. We love them. It's all about messaging, right? I mean, <laughs> that, that's, and that's what, you know, we, we joke about uh, our, uh, you know, our podcast. We say we don't want to talk about water. We want to talk about talking about water. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Talk, I, uh, as we know in the water industry, NOC was one of the big trade associations that uh, mostly is on the clean water side and, 
my first NACWA meeting as a DC water, DC WASA at the time, and I was going to speak. It was after a guy named Bob Purchisepi, who used to be the deputy administrator of EPA. And I'm waiting on the table to go up after him. And I got a message on the fat phone that all GMs have. And we had a potential chlorine contamination event at our at the water reservoir at the highest part of the city where they were cleaning it out and a valve had been left open and there was the potential that chlorine in, in levels that was way too high was getting into the distribution system and going by gravity to all of the customers being served. So I did the speech. I ran out, got in a cab, drove up there. And it was the high part of the city and that's where all the radio stations are. So it's the one time in my life I felt like a a movie star or something, because all the media was there because all they had to do was walk out the doors because they were all up there already wanting to know what we'd done to contaminate the system. And on the spot, we called a boil water alert. Uh, we walked door to door. We went on TV. We went through the council members. We went through every engagement to call the alert. And um, turns out that the chlorine had not gotten in, that they discovered it and gotten the valve off before chlorine had bleeded into the system. So we were able to call the alert off the next day. And we uh, surveyed our customers um, afterwards in that region. And what we found was really interesting is first, they didn't like the boil water alert. Please don't do that again. That's a real problem. But second, their approval of us and sense of us went up not down, because in the old DC WASA, which didn't communicate very much, they would have waited till they knew for sure if there was a problem until they communicated that it existed. The problem with that is by the time they figured that out, there would have been a period that people were exposed. We called the alert before we knew it was actually a problem. We just had a story that it could be. And went and did everything we could. And, and people's reaction were, we're so glad you took our public health and safety as your highest priority, even though it was kind of embarrassing and irritating. That's what we want from you. And that started being our story. We are going to take your public health as our highest priority and do whatever it takes, including admitting our own mistakes, always connected to how we're going to solve it. And that was our, I actually think events like that was on our path of becoming better connected to our customers rather than worse, which was sort of counterintuitive. I know our whole team was like, what do you mean you're going to say everything? We don't even know if it's true yet. I'm like, we've got to take the protective step. That's how they need to know who we are and how we operate. And once they had that sense, um, what I always hope from media and from people who talk about us is that they give us the benefit of the doubt. We could be wrong or deserve criticism. Of course, that happens. But in the old days, Washington Post would slam D.C. Wassa before D.C. Wassa even had a chance to defend itself because they sort of assumed D.C. Wassa had done something wrong. And I, at least I believe by the time, and not too far into this, the Washington Post, if there was something, would always call and ask us, what's going on? Uh, what's your side here? And usually there was an explanation. So the story came out differently. And, then we, and that was sort of emblematic of our customers. You won't naturally assume you're a bunch of bumbling bureaucrats in this distant organization. You're hardworking people. You come into our neighborhood. You talk to us at our meetings. You listen to what we have to say. So uh, we give you the benefit of the doubt that you're doing the best you can and what's best for us. And if there's sometimes some mishaps, we're glad to know and glad you know you're on it. You're listening to the What Are We Talking About podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. This podcast is produced by Water Online, the leading web-based community for water and wastewater professionals, showcasing the knowledge and authority of industry thought leaders, Water Online provides actionable content from vendors you can trust. 
And now, back to today's podcast. George, what, what advice can you give vendors who provide uh, products and services to water utilities on that same kind of thing about messaging to them on uh, th- those products and services they provide? I love the question. Um, and it's where I think about it a lot um, because uh, I'll tell another quick story. Um, I was in a group that was evaluating new technologies from utilities in the mid-Atlantic. I bet there was several billion dollars of buying power in that room because there was WSSC and DC water, Fairfax water. I mean, just very large water to Baltimore. We were all mid-Atlantic reviewing and a gentleman came up to present a new technology. Um, I happen to know the technology because it's one we used um, at DC water, but I think most of the people in the room did not. Um, and he started his presentation with, and you could tell this guy had a high IQ. Uh, I'm not saying in it because he was, he just was smart, dedicated. He was earnest. He loved his thing. And the whole first half of the presentation was about his thing. It wasn't his thing, but I mean, the product, it's, there was charts and graphs and look, you're used to be this way. And now it's going to be that way. And I was like, what, what? and I knew what it was. And I was still trying to struggle. And then he got in because to him, all that information is old hat. And he's excited about it. And he lost the room. So I was watching the room too, and I knew most everybody in there. And no one disliked the guy. He could tell he was earnest, and, but they started doing emails because no connection had been made. At the end of this presentation, there was three case studies for how this uh, piece of equipment had helped on price and performance in three utilities. And I saw some folks put their heads back up. And I did speak to the gentleman afterwards, and they said, you should take that presentation and completely flip it and you see it all the time with smart people who have technologies that they love and god bless them that's what they're all excited about but if someone in that category says oh this is so great but you haven't made a connection to the your audience about what they care about and the story that they understand maybe you'll get some people in the audience who just like gadgets so they'll be sort of curious but if you're talking to people who are have procurement buying power and you haven't made a connection to something that matters to that audience before you start going into the graphs and charts and graphs. <clears throat> and I'm actually not ever sure <clears throat> that in that initial kind of presentation, you ever have to get to the technical charts and graphs. <clears throat> Maybe, but right. they're there. We can tell you everything you ever want to know about this down to the last nut and bolt and chip or whatever, because it's smart and all this other stuff. But what I really want to tell you is here's the kind of challenges. I've looked at your utilities. I know each of you have this kind of challenge and in this scale. And I'm going to tell you a story about how utilities just like you use this to reduce their costs and improve their performance or overcome a problem that we all jointly have. And everybody in the room will be going, God, I've I've got that. And oh my, they say 10% or, or I want to do that. It's been tried somewhere and it's not something that we're worried about whether I can call up that utility and ask them how it works. All the things we know utility folks do for good measure. And if that's up front, and particularly starting with a story, there's a utility that had X amount of sanitary overflows a year. They were spending this kind of money on it. There's a press. Here's an example of a clipping. Um, and then here's what we did. Um, so it's a story. There's a, an antagonist, a protagonist, a, a, re- a resolution with the white knight coming in, essentially all the parts of a big fairy tale um, around a water. And then I think you've got the audience. And uh, the risk is with high IQ, and I don't like. I'm not saying that in an arrogant way, but people who are really smart and have invented great things, and like I said, God bless them for it. 
and are so excited about it. They tend to start with their thing and that won't make a connection with any audience unless it happens to be other people who love those things just for that reason. But that won't be your procurement or your operations chiefs in utilities for the most part. But the, the feedback I often hear when municipal leaders or even leaders in, in, in product focused companies or vendors, when they say, hey, I, you know, I'm, I want to be a better storyteller, marketer or salesperson, but I can't get the budget. I don't have budget. How do you suggest people go about securing those funds or do they even need funds to get started? Um, that's a great question. And um, uh, DC Water, by the time I left, had a very robust external affairs office, but it didn't start that way. Um, we did it very much on the cheap. It wasn't zero, but when we created the new DC Water logo, I think we created a $1,500 challenge um, fund in a $400 million budget. So this was like... I don't know how many decimal points of, of it was. And we had a public challenge to come up with a logo. So we didn't hire a graphics design firm. We didn't have any expense. And we got 178 entries. And they were hilarious. There was turds and toilets and fire hydrants and all the kid stuff and some really. And we actually picked pieces, including colors, the idea of DC with the water drop tilted sideways, um, DC as small letters rather than big letters. Um, and then we did a little work on our own. Um, I take the credit or the blame for water's life as the phrase. And we put that together and announced it. Um, and that cost us a grand total of $1,500. And the folks who won were all excited. It actually engaged people from all over the city about thinking of who we were. So it started their thought of, but it really is a water utility because I can't really design this thing unless I think about that. Um, so that was pretty cheap. And then we started swapping the logos out just when a truck would be maintained. So there wasn't some big expense. You know, if you're going in for maintenance anyways, we take off the old sticker and put on the new sticker. And the stickers aren't, weren't that expensive. Um, and changing, everything got changed in the course of events. So when we bought new letterhead, it would come with a new logo. But we didn't throw anything out. So everything was designed to be very un inexpensive. Um, second, uh, we... It is, anybody can start telling stories and doing this. This doesn't need different people. And um, and that was what I was mainly doing. For the first year or two, the external affairs office at DC Water was essentially me. I did actually hire an initial person. And then once the board saw the benefit that was coming back to the organization, sort of a value proposition like you would with any investment, they're like, that's working. We're, we're getting approval or we're, we're going into rate hearings and having people show up and saying positive things about our, our rate proposal. And we're getting support in the neighborhoods and the city council is no longer attacking us and the Washington Post writing positive. Let's get more of that. So once we had proven that it works, then it's easier to make a case for we'd like to have, we hired someone who only communicated inside. We hired someone who focused on graphics design because we started doing some really great uh, graphics work. That didn't start at first. That was something we built up to. Um, and last thing I'll say on it is what I have learned about speaking and storytelling is that anybody can get pretty good at it if they think about it. And this is what always also I get some humor from. Um, uh, where you see a presentation like that gentleman where I was telling the story because he was talking about his technology before he was uh, connecting with his audience. The other thing I often see is 
really smart people who've got a good technical presentation delivering it. And when they deliver it, it seems like the first time they've ever done it. And it's like a great basketball player walking out on the basketball floor and playing the game like they didn't practice. I'm like, who's the opponent? And and how do they play? And are they going to be like, what? how should I? No, of course you scout your uh, the other team and you practice ahead of time. And even if you're really good at something, you still take 500 shots a day to get even better at it. That public speaking, after all the work in engineering and math and science and technology, whatever the background of the presentation, and now I've done this whole PowerPoint, what's the last thing and most important? Practice! Think about where would I sit in a story? How can I sort of make sure that there's something that connects with the audience? Who is the audience? Who am I speaking with? Where are they from? All these kinds of questions that is preparation that anybody can do. That doesn't have a specialist. Know your audience. Say something about them when you start off. That's nice. People like hearing about themselves when you're talking to them. And whenever I go in front of an audience, I've done research about that place. And often the building would do. I love being in this building. What a cool building. I remember doing that in Albany because it was. But I could tell in the audience from Albany, and my guess is that that, that's a place that most people don't say, oh, Albany. I mentioned there's a really cool old building down that I'd visited. And I started the speech that way. And you could tell the audience, at least to me, seemed a little more positively this because I said something nice about where they live and who they are and showed I'd done some homework about them. And then I tried to lace in little mentions during the presentation. All of those are skills that is like uh, playing a sporting uh, a sport. You can learn and practice in advance. You don't and, need anyone other right. than yourself. I mean, no, no actor goes on stage without rehearsing, right? I mean, that that would be death. And, and so a comedian, a stand-up comedian, um, they, they practice and practice and practice and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And if you want to connect with the audience, um, again, you, you know, you, you, you made them more receptive to your message because you showed interest in, in their particular uh, area and, and it, it showed. My kids used to always um, uh, make fun of me because I was always muttering to myself whenever we drive anywhere. But I always practice, even though all I, I speak all the time. Um, before I always practice, I go through my notes, I do all the same things that I would otherwise do. And I, when I speak, it sometimes seems like it's very uh, off the cuff. Oh, contraire, almost anything I say, I have said before many times. How I organize them are different every time I say it or which ones I pick. And some of it is sort of free form. But once I start a little module, like a little, like the story of, of what happened with that chlorine up on the top end of, of DC, I practiced that before. I told the story before. So it comes out very naturally. Uh, lots of, hmm, oh, that's not because I'm such a, na- I, no, I practice it. And and like you said, it's like an actor going on the stage. Yeah. My We've wife's always that. asking me, who, who are you talking to in the shower? Yeah. <laughs> totally right. And it works. It absolutely works. It's something anybody can do and you will always get better. So wherever, it doesn't really matter to me between a super polished speaker or someone who's very nervous, wherever you are, it's like a utility. It's like any organization. It doesn't matter where you are. You can always improve. And this is all you have to do is start. And then once you get into the habit of doing it, you will see it. I guarantee it. We all guarantee it because we've all been part of what we do that will make a difference, a big difference. You've got the IQ and the ideas, I bet, cold. Um, and it's sort of ironic that sometimes the way people don't succeed isn't because of their intelligence or their ideas or their PowerPoints or all the rest. It's because of the way they present it. And um, that's such a critical step. And it's one you can learn and get better at. That's great. 
That's great. So we're coming up on time, George. Yep. We got one wild card question for you. <clears throat> We've asked everyone this question, uh, have gotten pretty different responses. So imagine you had an airplane that has a banner flying behind it. And you get to fly that plane in front of every single U.S. water professional's house. And they're going to see the message that's on that banner. What's the message that you put on that banner? Um, gosh, uh, uh, oh, great question. Because um, uh, I don't speak in short little banner. Uh, <laughs> but one of them, I mean, I would, the way, what I, the way I, I finish most of the meetings I have of my little group at Moonshot, we help water utilities and underserved communities adopt a lot of the kind of strategies we all know about, is I always end everything of go get them. Um, and it's just, it's a phrase I use of, let's just go get them. Let's go do it. And, and it's what, what the hardest thing on anything, and this sounds like a Hallmark card commercial, but, <laughs> or a card, but, but I find it's true. And it's true for me. I have a big project. I often will do things all over my house before I started because just getting started. But as soon as I get started, it starts to go. We're natural. It's the go get them. You get started on this, like public speaking, like all of these things. Just start, and it's amazing what will come. And you probably have all the good ideas in your mind, or you've been thinking about them for a while, or you know, you should, what's that important but not urgent box, maybe? But go get them, and um, it, it's amazing what will come. That's great. Thank you, George. Yeah, yeah delight. George, thanks so much. We really Thank appreciate you, you taking the time to speak with us. My absolute pleasure. This has been a delight. Hey.